Welcome to ATB Pop. I'm Justin, and my co-host is Noah. Today we're going to be combining a couple different topics, and I'm going to let Noah introduce those topics to you. So in preparing for this, we were kind of going through our Google Drive of ideas that we had for new episodes we could do, and we kind of came up with a few of them that really couldn't stretch out to a whole episode, but if we put two of them together and kind of tied them together in the middle, we could probably pull that off. Right, Justin? Absolutely. I got the world-class talker on uh, the other side of the mic this time. So we're going to take a look first at the things that we've been listening to this year. And I've been oddly surprised by what's been coming out. Um, As I said in the guitar episode, really kind of gone headfirst into looking for new music and just keeping a good ear out. And I've been enjoying it, uh, to say the least. And I've branched away from from rock for a little bit. Um, I've explored different things like old-time radio shows. I've been looking at uh, some of the other music. But lately, it's uh, what's been hitting the alternative side for Alt-92.3, and I don't consider it an alternative song at all. This should be pop, and it's Tomes and I, Dance Monkey. I don't know what it is about this song. It's... it hooks me very easy. I hear it. I've got it set as my wife's ringtone. And I told her the other day that I, I, I'm tempted to not even answer the phone call. I just want to sit there and listen to the song. They say, oh my God, I see the way you shine. Now I beg to see you dance just one more time. Ooh, Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, calling it alternative is a stretch. That's like when they started putting Billie Eilish on the alternative stations. And it's like, really isn't. I mean, maybe one or two of her songs, but most of it's pop. And the same thing with Dance Monkey. It's a pop, like, dance track. Uh, I guess you call it, like, EDM or house or something. But, I mean, it's catchy as all hell and just fun to listen to. It's catchy as all hell. And the video is hilarious. I didn't expect her to look this way i mean she's an australian i I don't know what i was picturing in my head but the video has her dressed up as an old man and uh that's in not necessarily in hospice but needs home care and his friends sneak in to she's dressed up as a guy and her friends sneak in her old friends they're a bunch of old geezers and they kind of uh leave the house and go on this this uh romp through town where they're driving in their old classic car trying to pick up women picking on each other while they're out golfing and just the way she dances through this thing is just hilarious i couldn't help but laugh and watch it over and over again and it's, it kind of hits a uh a interesting thing for me as well because i've been listening to like i told you before we started a lot of what i would consider dance music um 
pretty much since the beginning of 2020. Uh, one of the ones that's been on constant uh, constant rotation for me has been Don't Start Now by Dua Lipa, which is basically a, a disco track. Disco track I haven't really got into. Um, I, I, I do get plenty of disco on Fridays at at my uh, at my job because he, he my boss he likes to play the Bee Gees every Friday. Drives his wife nuts. But I, I could go for some disco. No, 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 no. No, no, no. This is good disco. At least you're not saying ABBA. No. The, th- the thing with it is that it takes what I consider all the best parts of disco. Uh, and, I mean, calling it disco is kind of a stretch. It's somewhere between disco and funk and just kind of all those classic sounds. But it takes all the best parts of it. You got the, the sparkling guitar, the uh, uh, the awesome bass line. I mean, that's what makes any dance track for me, especially in this kind of style. Is it's got to have an infectious, groovy bass line underneath everything. And it just it's this uh, seductive groove that just draws you in. And then on the chorus, it just comes out of nowhere with uh, hitting you with the full, full energy again. Because so it like drops out for a second, and you think it's going to go into like a kind of boring pop song chorus and then the bass and drums come back in and it just turns into a dance track all over have to listen to that one a bit more another one that uh, i've been listening to quite a bit and that's going to be over here saint raven knights in white satin they released this right at the tail end of 2019 and uh only reason why i found them is because of course the song knights in white satin if anybody's listened at any point in time knows how much of an affinity i have for that song and the moody blues in that album and I was thinking about of another episode of um, who covered it better. Who would I put on there? This would be one of them artists that would make that list. Uh, they would be the the two top or one of the two top contenders against it. I mean, of course, they can't beat Moody Blues for nostalgic reasons, but it is a damn good song. I love the guitar in it. I love the vocals. It is a very close to original cover of a song that you'll find anywhere today. So with the with some of the the beginning of this, you're talking about, and you've talked about it in our last episode too, about uh, keeping your ear to the ground, looking for new music, new things to listen to this year, kind of branching away from what you've maybe listened to in the past. I've been attempting to do that, and it's more so looking at artists that I've heard about in the past and just never had the time to actually go and listen through. So like a, a big one for me is St. Vincent, who... I, I guess kind of with making that um, the guitarist episode we did last time and looking at Guitar World's list, it was kind of like inspired me to go back and actually start listening to her catalog a little bit deeper. And I found plenty of tracks in there that I absolutely love. Uh, one of the, my favorite one right now, which kind of ties into the whole uh, disco dance music thing I'm going through right now, is Fast Slow Disco, which is, I guess it's a remix of one of her songs. But it's like a completely different version of it that she did 
probably about a year or so after it was released and just turned this kind of somber ballad into a legitimate like dance disco track. Yeah, and speaking of guitarists that were featured in the last episode, Joe Satriani, who I felt didn't really need it to be in that list, I've changed my mind since he dropped this new song, 1980. It blew me away. It had some classic surfer style in it mixed with some amazing metal guitar. <laughs> I, was, I was floored with it. And the new album comes out April 10th. And I wish iTunes would let me get more of a preview than just the one song, because I'd be tempted to buy this album. As I said, I thought Satriani was just kind of fading out, that he didn't really deserve to be as high as they put him in that list. Yeah, I was wrong. No, I mean, Satriani is basically the same same category as Steve I, where he's basically a living legend of uh, guitar, especially uh, like shred uh, metal guitar. The two of them have basically been the dueling uh, guitar gods of that community for the past 20, 30 years, and they're just as prolific now as they've ever been. Yeah, if if old age is slowing him down, then um, I would never believe it, because I don't think he's showing any signs of slowing down, because that was some amazing guitar play, and I've even thought about using it as an outro song for one of the shows that I produce at work. Absolutely. I mean, with him... Him and Steve I, I mean, I can't mention one without the other, but the, uh, both of them, they do a really good job of just incorporating new stuff into their music every time they do something. It's they're neither they're not like uh, Satriani is not the type of dude who is just doing the same thing, going through the motions of what he was doing in the '80s. Which you hear that a lot with older artists. Like that's one of the issues I've had. Ozzy just put out some new music. And as good as it is, it's basically just the same thing he was doing in 1980. It's not really anything different except that he's got Slash doing a solo in one of the songs this time. And that is one thing about the the Satriani song is that he calls it 1980. It feels 80-ish, but it's definitely not 80s. It is 2020. It's some amazing guitar playing that I was going, wow, I'm hooked. I need more. Yeah, and it kind of sounds like, to me, what um, Tom Morello was attempting to do last year with the idea of making like a modern guitar record, but really what he ended up doing was making a kind of watered-down pop or uh, dance electronica album that just happened to have guitar parts on it. Yeah, and coupled that with uh, Anita Strauss's Controlled Chaos album, man, guitar has just been shredded in this household. Yeah, and I've kind of, it's weird because since the beginning of the year, the guitar stuff I've been leaning towards has been a lot more uh, rootsy and sparse, sparse, I guess. So like St. Vincent is a guitar god type of uh, personality, but the way she does it is completely different where it's more of a textural and kind of serving the song kind of thing. And then 
three of the ones I've been listening to a lot is Mary Spender, Joey Landreth, and Ariel Posen. And all three of them have this kind of roots rock uh, singer-songwriter kind of vibe going on. Like, Mary Spender is like a coffee house. Kind of reminds me of like a KT Tunstall kind of thing. And then Joey Landreth and Ariel Posen are borderline old-school blues uh, folk music guys with just so happens that they have these amazing slide guitar, uh, rock guitar solos peppered throughout their singer-songwriter songs. And if you're talking about bluesy kind of uh, blues rock, then I have to agree with you that uh, the other band that I've been listening to, the Blue Stones, Shaking Off the Rust, they're a Canadian duo out of Ontario. They sound a lot like the Black Keys, uh, from the style that they play, from the way they write their songs, from the way they sing their songs, the vocals, and even the guitar playing. Even to their name. Yeah, even to their name. <laughs> the Blue Stones, the White Stripes, Black Keys. I'm, I'm going to start a band called the Brown Streaks. <laughs> it, it it feels like they just used a uh, random name generator on Facebook to create their band. Your band name is... But their music at least is good. I, I enjoy it to listen to and to get that that that, um, that blues beat in the house to counteract the the Iron Maiden sounding Nita Strauss. Yeah, I think you had sent me one or two of their songs. I think uh, the one you're talking about, the Shaking Off the Rust, and yeah, it was it was solid. I mean, I'm I'm a critic of uh, people doing that kind of style because I obviously I have a very high standard for it, being the Jack White uh, groupie that I am. But no, it was good. Like I've I've heard plenty of people who sound like sellout uh, wannabe uh, hipsters who just kind of go through the motions, and that's not them. They're they're legit. Yeah, and they're tearing it up on the charts because uh, where I'm getting my, my music from these days, they, they're uh, all over the state or the country right now. Uh, they're one of the hottest bands out there. It's interesting, though, that they're uh, also Canadian because Joey Landreth and Ariel Posen are both uh, from Canada as well. So there's there's like a growing uh, blues country scene up in Canada that I've been seeing a lot of, a lot of good guitarists coming out of in particular. Seen a lot of good good guitarists right now because uh, we even had Saint Asonia with the new song "The Hunted" featuring Godsmack's lead singer Sully. That that had some great playing in there. Fozzie's got a new single out. Uh, I'm I'm just psyched to hear all the guitar coming out this year. All the rock in general. Um, it's amazing when you actually pay attention to see what's going on around you. That you'll you, it's there. Yo, Saint Asonia. That's if I remember correctly. It's uh, Mikey Mashuk from or uh, from um, Stained as the guitarist for them, and he's uh, he's always been a really solid uh, uh, guitar riff guy. Uh, I mean, whatever you want want to say about Stained and new metal in general, there's some some really good guitar riffs uh, throughout the whole genre and throughout like uh, Not Again and some of the other tracks that they've had. Uh, I think he made. I think he made a habit of using low tune, like baritone guitars, which just gives a, a tight, really heavy sound to the riffs. That I mean, it was kind of common in new metal, but it's still uh, cool to hear his approach to it. 
when I saw that Sully was in there, that quickly made me listen to it because I like Godsmack. I think they're a tremendous band. Uh, not so big on that last album. I felt it was kind of commercial, kind of cookie cutter album. But anytime I see Sully, I'm, I'm listening. <clears throat> with with my music that I've been listening to lately, I have the the strains I've talked about where it's been like the the folky guitar players because I've been. I don't know. I've been really interested into getting more into uh, playing harmony and rhythm guitar and being better at that, as opposed to just uh, straight lead guitar and hard rock riffing. So there's been that strain, and then there's the dance music stuff. And the only way I can describe the other stuff I've been listening to is Billie Eilish-ish, I guess. The uh, the two main ones is Haley Williams put out a uh, a single as a solo artist. She's the lead singer from Paramore. Uh, she put out a single, it's called Simmer, and to me it basically sounds like she listened to a lot of Billie Eilish and went, I'm going to do that. But it, it sounds it sounds different enough, especially since it's uh, since it's her and she has kind of a distinct voice, that I pretty much liked it. And then, I mean, straight up, Phineas, Billie Eilish's brother, I've been listening to his solo stuff, and honestly, he his style is a good bit different from Billie's, but it's similar vein of uh, that kind of indie alternative pop but he he's a little bit less uh dark and moody just because of his voice it comes across a little more sarcastic than straight up depressed i guess i lost a friend like keys in a sofa like a wallet in the back seat like ice in the summer heat I lost a friend, I lost a friend, I lost my mind And nobody believes me, say I know that he don't need me Cause he made a little too much money to be 20 and sad And I'll be fine without him, but all I do is write about him How the hell did I lose a friend I never had? And then right in the middle of it all, you put Halsey's latest song, You Should Be Sad. And when you sent me that video, I, I, I just had to stop what I was doing. That, that video was um, eye-catching. But the song is catchy, too. I, I like it. Uh, compared to her last album, once again, kind of comparison to Godsmack was just kind of cookie-cutter. Uh, it just felt that... Um, she wasn't herself in that last album. And this album, she's back to, hey, I'm going to make music the way I want to make it. I'm going to have fun with it again. And I've got something to say. I had something to say in the last album, but I didn't quite get it out. But here, I got it now. Well, and see, with her, the um, I never really was a huge fan of hers. I heard a couple songs I liked, but I heard her more in the kind of pop princess where she was getting on the top of the charts and she seemed to be playing a little safer. If I hadn't seen her at the CMT Awards, the Country Awards, with Lady Antebellum sitting there strumming an acoustic guitar and singing along with some of their songs and doing uh, a country-fied version of her song Graveyard, I would have been really surprised hearing You Should Be Sad and Graveyard and a couple of the other ones off of this album. Because I listened to a good bit of uh, the full album, and they all have this folk, country, just kind of really uh real authentic raw kind of quality to them that makes her come across way more appealing than the more pop music stuff she was doing where it seemed 
a little bit more generic and quirky for the sake of being quirky. This feels more like an artist making music that they actually want to make. first album i loved i have it on vinyl and i loved every bit of it because it stayed in the alternative side it had the alternative style lyrics the alternative style sound and it was breakthrough for her at that point and she was very brash very alanis morissette with her vocals or with her lyrics i mean she just flat out called things like she saw it and then she got big and then like you said she played it safe with that second album and I was kind of like, eh, I think I'm kind of done with her at that point. But this song, it's got those country elements that made me say, you know, I think I need to check out country a little bit more too this year. I think this is the year that country is a little more prominent than usual. It's interesting you say Alanis Morissette because that was kind of one of the first thoughts I had when uh, listening to You Should Be Sad is it's kind of like, this is kind of like her uh, You Ought to Know uh, equivalent in a lot of ways with uh, t- taking... We're taking uh, obvious shots at, I think it was G-Eazy, is the the X that this one is uh, pinned towards. And yeah, it, to me, it was very much in that kind of vein. In a lot of ways. All right, and the, la- the, last, uh, the last bit of what I've been looking into lately, and, and like I said, kind of like with the um, Joey Landreth and Ariel Posa and those, a lot of it has to do with what I'm into trying to learn or trying to do on my guitar lately. That's where a lot of what I listen to comes from. So the two that I've been listening to a good bit is Sarah Longfield and Yvette Young, who I kind of mentioned at the tail end of our uh, our last episode with the top guitarists of the decade. Both of them kind of take the prog uh, rock styling kind of thing that uh, Tosin Abasi and a few others have made popular of taking the two-handed tapping on guitar, basically playing what would equate to the piano melodies and arpeggios on the neck of a guitar, especially extended range guitar with the extra bass strings. Um, Sarah Longfield and Yvette Young, to me, have taken that specific element of doing that in a very clean, um, sometimes jazzy, but very ambient kind of context, and have taken that in a completely different direction from its more metallic roots, and ju- they just honestly make these kind of beautiful soundscape, um, like composition pieces that are just really nice to listen to. And coincidentally, both of them are originally piano players, so that's kind of where a lot of the ear and the the approach to the uh, instrument comes from, I believe. And when you're talking about seven strings, eight string guitars. Uh, I noticed an article the other day from on Guitar World about uh, Korn's uh, Fieldy, their bass drummer. How he says that um, the reason why his is almost a percussion-sounding instrument is because they have two seven-stringers inside corn, so he's got to find a way to be heard. Yeah, I've seen that because um, his his approach is very much being a second drummer and then occasionally throwing in some bass lines. And yeah, because basically with the seven-string, the guitarists just kind of fill out all the low end with the the low B, or in their case, they tune down a little bit. So I think it's low A sh- uh, A sharp but B-flat, however you want to call it. But yeah, 
Um, they were kind of the ones that popularized the seven string in like the mainstream. Because like I was talking about with uh, Stained with Mike Mashook, they um, were part of the same new metal scene as Corn. And Corn really the forerunners of using the the seven strings or baritone or just down tuned guitars to get that the heavy riffing and kind of almost making uh, heavy metal rap beats with it in a lot of a lot of ways. I mean, it almost sounds like they're making it where uh, they don't even need a bass player inside their band. So it's like, wow, I'm a, I'm gonna be heard. So here, I'm gonna do something different. I'm gonna do a lot of higher end of my notes and. Just kind of sound like a drum. Well, in a lot of cases, um, in a lot of cases, you really don't, because like animals as leaders, like we talked about with Tosin Abasi, it's Tosin Abasi, Javier Reyes, both playing eight string guitars and then a drummer. And essentially, what Tosin and Javier do is they trade off. Okay, I'm I'm gonna play the bass line, play the low end for this part, and you play higher up, and then we'll switch. So. They don't have a bass player per se, but because of the low end and the eight strings, they kind of trade off who's the bass player and who's the guitarist, depending on the section of the song. And then with um, Sarah Longfield and Yvette Young and people like that, they're essentially taking the piano approach where you have the left hand playing bass lines and the right hand playing uh, melody or chords. And even with... Um, you can even see that with six strings with like some old jazz guitars and stuff where they'll play where they'll basically separate the neck of the guitar into bass and uh harmony but with the eight, 7 and 8 the extended range you can do a lot more of that to basically sound like a real bass player and just basically accompany yourself Some more of the, the stranger or the weird instruments that you ever heard in rock. And it wouldn't be me if I didn't talk about this song because any chance I ever or every chance I get to share this video, I share it. And that's a Bill Bailey playing Inter Sandman on air horns. I don't know what it is about him playing the main melody on the uh on the air horns that catches me. I laugh at it and I marvel at it at the same time because that's a lot of skill and talent just to kind of get all the right notes and the right spots and the right rhythm to it. It's just, I find it crazy. That may be the weirdest thing I've ever seen someone do with Metallica music, but only by a slight bit because Metallica literally have a song where the main riff is played on the hurdy-gurdy. The hurdy-gurdy. <laughs> I can only imagine what it's like to carry something like that out. It's such a weird instrument because it's, I mean, it's not all that different than an accordion in construction, but the sound of it is just, it's, it's strange. It's, it sounds cool, but it is really weird. It's like somebody took an accordion, a sitar, and like a violin and slammed them together and then put buttons on it. And like a one-man Weird Al Yankovic band, huh? Kind of, yeah, but the um, the song with the hurdy-gurdy on it's uh, Low Man's Lyric, and 
I, I couldn't find it, but I remember reading somewhere where James Hetfield was talking about it. Basically, the idea he had was to make it sound as, like, cobbled together, like a dude scrounging together whatever he could find in a junkyard kind of vibe, which is why I think Lars Ulrich plays, like, a trash can or a toy drum kit or something, and... It's just it's very lo-fi and trashy and acoustic sounding. You 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 talking about bringing out toy instruments? Last time I saw Lindsay, uh, her entire band came out with toy instruments. She came out with a little toy violin. She had this uh, video that she played before she came out that uh, she couldn't find her violin or her violin was broken, so she took one from a kid and she came out and it was this tiny violin, uh, the keyboard. Keyboardist, he came out on one of those little uh, toy pianos that that uh, Schroeder always played on in the Peanuts, and the drummer just came out with like a box or a can or something, and that's how they played their uh, one song. It was funny to watch. At the same time, it was, did I really need to hear this? It's like the videos Loudwire's done with like Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater playing on a Hello Kitty drum kit, or Zach Wilde shredding on the Hello Kitty acoustic guitar or whatever. <laughs> And while we're on the subject of funny videos, let's talk about uh, the penny whistle that uh, Paul Simon played and you called me out. This is the only time you'll hear me say I like Chevy Chase. First off, he didn't have any lines in the videos, which is probably the best part of it. Because uh, Paul Simon, he comes out and just as he's about to sing, Chevy Chase steals the, uh, the, the singing part in the video. So he's doing all the vocals. Paul Simon's running around playing on all kinds of different instruments from the saxophone to bass drum, the bongos, and then even the little penny whistle, which is probably one of the funnier parts in the movie. It's a very simple video. I laugh about it every time I see it. And uh, it's one of those songs that sticks in my head as an earworm. And I'm like, I got, I got to watch it again. Well, now we're firmly into the realm of uh, weird instruments. I kind of want to talk about some weird instruments that are in like classic songs, if you will. Um, the one, the one that I really like that the sound of, and it's always been classic to me, apparently is one you didn't realize was there, which is the, the sitar on, uh, Painted Black by the Rolling Stones. You totally caught me by that one. So I'm going to take that as the uh, something new I learned today because I always thought that that was a guitar at the beginning or that they played through and for it to be the sitar, I was like, what? No way. And I had to go back and listen. And for a song that I've loved since the 80s or late 80s, I should say, when the hit show, yeah, it was a hit show, Tour of Duty, all about the Vietnam War. That was how they introed the show, and I, a lot of times I tuned in. I, I didn't miss the beginning. I had to hear the song, too. And then it led later on to me trying to do that song as a karaoke, which I failed miserably at. <laughs> but it was still fun. There's reasons why I'm a retired karaoke singer. <laughs> I, can, I can understand the uh, the confusion there, though, because it does sound 
very guitarish. I mean, it's a guitar line because Brian Wilson, uh, Brian Jones, I'm sorry, uh, who's the other guitarist with the Rolling Stones, played it. So it is a guitar line, and I'm sure there's a guitar pedal out there somewhere that'll make you sound like that. But no, nah, it's got that distinctive drone and whine to it, and it. I mean, it fits the song perfectly because it's that like a little bit different, a little bit exotic, and a little bit kind of darker, sinister sounding that just perfectly uh, runs underneath the song the whole time. Oh, it runs the entire time. That's the driving force of that whole song. And uh, like I said, it's probably one of the reasons why I really like this song. Uh, I never realized it was because it was such a different and weird instrument that's why I liked it. But Because overall, I like the sound for it. And that's, like I said, the driving force, the sound. Okay, maybe I need to go learn to play it. <laughs> Not... Well, the the easy the easy way out on that one is uh, you go buy uh, Dan Electro electric sitar. That's basically a guitar that's been made to sound like one. Uh, I forget who used those. A lot of bands use those to cheat on the sitar sound if they didn't have uh, uh, Ravi Shankar to come play in the studio or to teach them how to play for years like uh, George Harrison did, which... You'll hear the legit sitar on a lot of uh, Beatles, George Harrison, and I think it was actually on some other Rolling Stones songs as well, but the only one that comes to mind for me right now is Paint It Black. Well, apparently uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers even used it too, so that's got to, it's had a wide variety of use. Definitely. Well, I mean, it's just, it's such a cool instrument that a lot of people have used it for, uh, for different effects and Anytime you need that need that very specific sound, it just gives it to you easily. And I had no idea that Jimi Hendrix was a multi-instrument player because he used a kazoo for his song Crosstown Traffic. Well, according to this article, he used a piece of cellophane and a uh, comb to create the kazoo sound. But hey, we got master guitarist and master kazoo player all in one song. Uh, who knew Jimmy could do so much? That's one of those ones that just is like, he he had to have done it as a joke. Like, there's no way that that was a serious thing when he did that. Yeah, there's no way you can take that seriously because let's go, oh, let's take this uh, toy that everybody hates getting at a birthday party or in my trick-or-treat bag and let's just play it in the middle of a song. How do I work that in? (laughs) Well, talking about like classic songs with the weird instruments... I never realized this was on there, kind of like you with uh, Paint It Black, but Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys has a very prominent um, theremin throughout the throughout most of the song. It's like the, the backing uh, melody throughout the song, which, listening to it, it's really obvious when you're looking for it, but it just, it never really crossed my mind. It doesn't, it's not something that sticks out. The song's so well produced and so coherent that it just kind of, it all fits together well. Maybe that's why some of them didn't stick out so much because the way they were produced sort of like the flute always sounded weird. In a uh, in the old '60s songs uh, that you hear, especially uh, most recent, I can think of as the Moody Blues, all through Days of Future Past, then using that flute is even though it's iconic to Nights in White Satin, 
it's still kind of eerie sounding like it doesn't belong there because it was so strange to record. Yeah, get a little, get a little Peter Frampton on that flute solo. I mean, I can only imagine today that if they if somebody recorded the flute, it would be vocoded or voice boxed. I mean, even going with Peter Frampton with the most iconic thing with the talk box, I mean, it sounds cool, but it is kind of funny when you think about it, the idea of ha- of making his guitar talk, because it's always been, well, he makes the guitar cry, and he's like, nah, man, I'll make it talk. I'll make it sing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of voice boxes, uh, my dad once saw a blues concert uh, at, at a bar in New Orleans. So I really shouldn't call it a concert. Let's just call it a gig. And the ba- or the guitar player was using a, a voice box on it, and he was acting like he was hitting on a girl at the bar. And the lead singer tried to get him to come up there, and he uh, used his guitar to uh, tell him uh, no in the most profane manner as possible. And the lead singer re- you know, told him back, because. Me? Nah, you. <laughs> and so I love when bands use that for kind of a comedic element as well. It shows some talent and some thought on their parts. Well, one that on this list that offended me was they got the Mellotron listed, but they're talking about uh, this Muscle Museum song by Muse and talking about, you know, U2 used it, Oasis used it. I, I mean, it's a Mellotron, Strawberry Fields Forever, the weird outro backwards thing at the end of the, the famous Beatles song. It's a Mellotron. It's one of the weirdest sounding instruments I've ever heard in my life because it's like a really basic, like, it's like a uh, an analog sampler, basically. It makes really weird noises. It's amazing when you put your mind to it, the things you're doing. Some of the other instruments I've seen listed in here, the Didgeridoo by Kate Bush. I don't really know the song from Kate Bush. That's how... Um, how uh, non-relevant she was back in the 80s because, uh, uh-oh, I forgot the song <laughs> that I do know her from that recently was uh, remade. And, you know, some of them they say weird was like bagpipes, but I, I think I've heard bagpipes enough times to not really consider that odd in the realm of rock music. Maybe if um, Billie Eilish started playing bagpipes, maybe I'll start... Uh, thinking that's a little odd but um i didn't find bagpipes that odd to be in a rock song no because i've heard i've heard bagpipes at this point i mean it's kind of sitar is kind of the same thing where it's been done so much that it's not really that weird anymore but uh i've heard bagpipes on let's see you got acdc you got uh corn used them extensively like that was kind of one of their shticks on a lot of They'd always have like one track per album, even the dubstep album that had uh, bagpipes on it. And then even, um, uh, was it St. Andrew and Prickly Thorn but Sweetly Worn off of Icky Thump but a White Stripes have like bagpipes is like the main instrument for most of the song. So, yeah, I mean, at this point, as far as bagpipes and rock music, it's not really that weird anymore. But. I, I guess it's still notable because it's not something you see a lot. To me, kind of like um, the banjo, it's not that weird, but it's weird when you realize that it's in like a Fleetwood Mac song because it's always been there, but you don't necessarily notice it until you're looking for it. Yeah, and with uh, they even mentioned violas in there, and that's really just kind of um, another form of the violin, which 
Charlie Daniels used the fiddle, which is definitely the other version, which is the other name for a violin. So I didn't see that being as too strange. And maracas was another thing then there. I'm going, I heard a lot, but the best use was when we did uh, Dark Country, our second version, when we had Snake Farm, when they used the maracas as a rattle for a rattlesnake. That was probably the coolest thing I've ever heard a maracas do. Yeah, we, we found a couple of articles that were like listing them off. Uh, one of the ones I found interesting was uh, that I never realized was the Trogs Wild Thing has an ocarina solo, which as a consummate nerd, the only thing I know ocarina from is Legend of Zelda. So I actually own an ocarina. That's the only thing I know about an ocarina. <laughs> I know it's some kind of flute type thing that you just kind of are seashell looking. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's this. It's one of these. Yeah, see, perfect example right there. Don't get my daughter that. If any of you have any ideas for a birthday or Christmas present, that's not one of them. We already have a ro- we already have a recorder. We already have a tambourine, and we have what I just spoke of, the maracas. Maybe one of these days I'll actually learn how to play something on this thing. I bought it at a Renaissance Festival like probably a decade ago. And yeah, I don't know how to play anything on it. I did learn like the first three notes of a Zelda song once, but that's about as far as I got. I, I predict this now. The next episode, he's going to know how to play Seven Nation Army on the ocarina. I really wish I could bust that out right now just to do it. <laughs> I can play Seven Nation Army on piano, bass, guitar, and drums. Might as well expand that list to the ocarina. Seven Nation you know, Army on you know, it. You know how you play Seven Nation Army on drums? Wow. They, he's already got the drum beat down. <laughs> it's, it's simple. If you can count to two, you can do it. Speaking of the white stripes, one of one of the other ones on uh, these lists that I forgot about, the song The Nurse by the White Stripes features uh, a marimba, which... The marimba is one of the most underrated instruments that I wish more rock bands would use, because every time I've heard it, it sounds awesome. It's way cooler than a xylophone. Well, I'm looking at this one instrument that got listed, the bazooki. I'm expecting, you know, bazooka, but uh, it looked more to be like a real deeper cut guitar is what it really looked like. And I still can't really hear it in the song with the uh, gallows pull. I'm going to have to go listen to that a little bit more from Robert Plant and Jimmy Page. I almost wanted to say Led Zeppelin, but uh, well, no, this is Led Zeppelin right there. No, 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 no. That's, you, you're mixing them up, mixing them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Bazooki is Keith Urban. No, it was Keith Urban. There we go. Keith Urban. This article is spaced weird. It's, uh, you probably wouldn't even notice it. It sounds like it's like a lute or a mandolin or something. So, but yeah, yeah. it'd probably be processed out over everything so the the main inspiration for this idea of just kind of looking at weird instruments in rock music where we started from with this was my obsession with uh extended range instruments specifically guitar and bass um we we kind of talked about it last time with steve i and tosin abasi with the seven and eight string guitars uh, another one that's really interesting to me is the the six string bass where basically back in 60s predominantly You'd have bands like the Beatles and some other ones where the guitarist would basically 
go pick up this bass that was literally a guitar just longer so that uh, John Lennon or George Harrison could comp on bass while Paul McCartney was playing piano or whatever. So you have a lot of these instruments that have the uh, the extra notes either higher or lower, which is how you get some of these um, interesting compositions these days. Like I saw one, it's this bass player, Adam Neely, playing a uh, seven-string bass. And it's, at this point, it's basically a upright piano that he is... Uh, playing literally playing keyboard on in a weird way almost like you ever seen uh justin you ever seen a chapman stick it's like 10 strings just a stick and you play it like this like tapping the notes across it like a inverted piano if you ever watched uh doom doom dune dune uh patrick stewart plays uh plays a uh, chapman stick solo okay yeah, I know what you're talking about. But that, but that's kind of the approach that some of these people take with the 8 and 7 and extended range basses because you have, like, a piano, basically, at your disposal, but mapped in the way of a guitar. So you get these really interesting voicings and chords and arrangements. And I don't know. That's that's kind of where I started from with this, was looking at all of the uh, extended range instruments, especially since I own a few of them now with my eight-string guitar that I bought last year. I find it an interesting topic too, because for a lot of people, kind of like me, it was just kind of oh, band, guitar, keyboard, bass, drummer, lead singer with ego complex. Yeah, and that's very accurate. <laughs> my my question is: If you're a one man band, do you have all of the egos and personality complexes of the entire band? I would think so. I would think they would have multiple voices in their head. I'd be curious to talk to uh, Trent Reznor sometime about his days with um, with for Nine Inch Nails. I mean, are there days that he wanted to kick the lead singer out and find a new lead singer? He'll bring in like Daughtry or somebody. For for what I've seen from Trent Reznor, he most certainly had voices in his head. I think there's several uh, one man bands that got their voices in the head. I mean. Look at the parody music Weird Al puts out. I mean, seriously, I mean, that's a comedian with a lead singer and a, an accordion and a, a ukulele. and <laughs> No joke. Weird Al has one of the greatest backing bands of all time as far as pure musicians go. It's crazy to think about, but when you take into account the number of different styles of music that they have to play just to get through one of his albums because of the wide range of stuff that he parodies. It's crazy wa- uh, watching how good of a band oh, they it are. Would, it would be crazy. I, I think I would pay to see that, you know, though he just came to New Orleans sometime last year, if I remember. I believe so, yeah. No, I would de- I would definitely see him uh, live in concert. I, th- I think it'd be a fantastic show. It'd be funny as hell. It'd always be funny. I'm always coming across new parodies that I haven't heard before. And I'm going, I can't believe I haven't heard this. This song's almost 20 years old, and I didn't know it existed. Well, it's like the, um, they were playing The Right Stuff by uh, New Kids on the Block over Walmart Radio today. And one of my coworkers informed me that apparently Weird Al did a parody of that. That's the white stuff between the Oreos. Yeah, he did that, and he did a parody of um, Backstreet Boys, Blink One Eighty Two. Oh, it was hilarious! Uh, one of the other uh, shows that I produce, that was one of the songs he had to play during his, uh, his in between his uh, segments. 
and I, I thought it was hilarious. When I did not know he did this. I didn't, it was Backstreet Boys that he made fun of. It was hilarious. It still kind of fits today with how some uh, some people I know. All right. Well, we are, we are digressing uh, greatly here. So, Justin, any uh, last words before we wrap this one up? No final thoughts? All right. Well, that's been music we've been listening to lately, extended range instruments, weird instruments in rock music, and a tangent about Weird Al Yankovic. Only on ATV Pop will you find such diverse topics as these. With that, we will see you next time. Thank you.